And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by my friend and colleague, Paul Tenorio. Paul, we recorded last week. I thought we had had the busy day of the week, the newsy day, the surprising day. Of course, Thursday, U.S. Soccer Sporting Director Amy Stewart officially stepped or announced that he was stepping down to, to go to PSV. Brian McBride officially announced that he was leaving. And then Friday happened after we recorded, and we learned that the Copa America is coming to the U.S. in 2024. Uh, the United States men's national team will likely be in it. They do have to qualify. Uh, they will be a favorite to do so, however. Um, and some additional CONCACAF, CONMEBOL, collaborations, I guess, if you want to call it that, uh, on the women's side with the CONCACAF W Gold Cup and some South American teams participating in that, and on the club level with the two confederations teaming up for a club tournament, four teams, two from each North and South America. That could be pretty cool beginning in 2024. Um, so there's a lot going on there. We're going to talk about that later in the show. We're also going to talk about some of the news from the transfer deadline, European window closing. There's some U.S. moves worth speaking on, some MLS moves worth speaking on as well. But, Paul, we're going to start with, Apple TV, well-covered ground on this show, um, but MLS season pass, the, the service between that launched earlier on Wednesday by Apple and MLS. We kind of got a preview of it. Both of us did. Um, I think yours was over Zoom or some sort of internet video situation. It was like, yeah, it was not Zoom. It was like fancier because it was Apple. Ooh, Apple Zoom. Uh, mine was in person here in New York City. Uh, we got, you know, to check it out in advance, which was nice of them to to allow us to do. And and Paul, I mean, to me, it looks nice. Um, and and all of the club pages are launched now. There's a lot of content already populated on there. I haven't really had the time to go explore that yet, um, but I do have some impressions from the initial kind of launch and and some thoughts. And we've been talking to some executives as well from around the league and getting their thoughts on this and a number of other topics. So I have some, some things that I want to say about it. Uh, I don't know if you have some things that you want to say about it, but what are your kind of, uh, what were your initial thoughts when, when you were given the tour of MLS season pass? Well, my first impression was that the user experience felt very similar to ESPN plus as far as navigation, the way it looked on the screen from on the game day stuff, the game, the game schedule, when it went to the match schedule, which I thought was good. Because I already have a habit of watching a lot of games on ESPN+. Plus. It's very easy to navigate. You can find any game you need, shows, breakdown by league, super easy. And, and I thought it looked just as simple and easy to navigate on this Apple app, which is important. You want to be able to find your teams or the games you're looking for easily. Um, and that that's what kind of stood out to me. I think the second thing... I'm sorry. <laughs> I am dying because I can't drink water properly. <laughs> So you guys probably heard a uh, an interesting noise come from come from this show. That was me, not Paul. Uh, learning, still recovering. Learning well, how I to think drink. That's water. what we have a producer for. That they would have cut your side out. And just Listen, man, I'm, I'm trying to be authentic. You know, like, I'm the one that's supposed to be sick on this podcast today, and some, Sam's the one coughing during the show. Sometimes so. you choke while drinking water, and yeah. that's what just happened to me. Um, the other thing I would say, Sam, that's that no, me Mike, is like, you're not cutting that. You can't cut this. We're here. Mike, our producer, is messaging us asking. Anyway, we fully this feels like into this. this feels like early days allocation disorder where Sam would just like yell at Joe who wouldn't be listening live. Joe would just hear it in the post <laughs> once we sent it to him about what to cut and what not to cut. But it would always seem like 
either shtick or like he really meant to cut it. So Joe would always have to message us like, do I really cut this or do I not cut this? And then Sam would write back in all caps like, no, do not cut it. And that's what's happening right now in the live chat because Zim is listening to this live. <laughs> so um, anyway, um, yeah. So, I, I mean, the other thing that stood out to me is just like there's for me, there are elements that that Apple brings to anything it does. It's just a little bit sharper, a little bit nicer, a little bit better thought through. You know, they they add those those touches, right? It's like it's like when you go to a fancy hotel, you see like the little things that the fancy hotel does. That's what Apple does. And I thought like, for example, having like a picture of the stadium, wherever that game is, when you click onto that game page, like that's like an Apple touch where they think through things like that and it makes it look sharp. And yeah. that, that that's what stood out to me. That to me, I don't know. It It's probably not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But as somebody that's watched MLS on television for all of my adult life and then some before that, uh, it just felt so nice to see it get that treatment and to see it sort of feel big time. Like it felt big time to me. And that's something that I think the league and fans and media and everyone that's watching it has longed for for years and never really gotten from a previous broadcast partner. And so I think that part of it is really cool. Um, but for me, the, the, the big things, Paul, are things that we've talked about before. I think it's the standardization of the schedule. I think it's the, the normalization of high-quality broadcasts and the standardization of high-quality broadcasts for every game across the league. You know, They're going to have the cameras. They're going to have the production quality. It might take some time. I think we've, we've established that. That's been well-documented. I don't think this is going to be perfect from day one, but I have faith that it'll get there eventually. And I think that ultimately what that will do is leave MLS with no excuses. And this is something that we've talked about a bit offline, Paul. But, you know, historically, everyone knows MLS hasn't had great ratings and great viewership numbers, to say the least. But always those numbers came with mitigating factors. I think, what was it, 63 different time slots? for matches or something like that in terms of day and time combinations last season. I think that's the number that, that they were throwing at us the other day. Yeah, something and, like and, that. and that's a legitimate mitigating factor. If you don't know when to watch or where to watch, it's harder to form that habit. Um, if the quality is all over the place in terms of the broadcast, it's harder to keep people locked in. And, and so I think the, the having those things gone having the product be good from a broadcast perspective and having it be consistent and having it be known when and where it's going to be seven thirty local time on Saturday nights for 99% or whatever of the matches. I think that just makes it something where if the product is good, people will watch it. And when I say product, I mean the quality of play. I mean the atmosphere in the stadium. I mean the broadcast, all of it, all of it together. And if it's not, people don't find it compelling, then they're not going to tune in. I don't think they're going to tune in in huge, huge numbers. The fact that it's behind a paywall for 60% of these games, you know, kind of dictates that a little bit, um, at least at the beginning. But, you know, if it's working, you should see some growth. And I'm curious to see how it plays out. But I think ultimately, Paul, that's a good thing. If the focus is on the product, then that puts the onus on MLS to make it better. Yeah, I mean, I think eventually it comes down to whether people want to tune in to watch MLS soccer. Like, do they want to watch the games that you're putting on the field? Are the players and the teams compelling enough? And, you know, that's a challenge that the league hasn't solved yet. And, you know, we we hear different ideas about it all the time. I mean, the league wants parity. Other people feel like you need super teams in order to, to – that super teams are good. For, for narratives and storylines and people watching, tuning in for games, mega stars. You know, we've heard the negatives of the retirement league stuff, but we saw the eyeballs that came for Zlatan. Um, you know, all of these things, there's no perfect solution. But I think eventually the league will face this existential question of what do we need to do to make the product on the field good enough for more people to tune in. Um and, you know, I'm really interested. I was reading a bunch of stories that that came out today, you know, whether it was on our 
with the athletic or other newspapers around the country in MLS markets about this product debuting. And one of the thing, one of the stories I read, it noted that MLS has not committed and Apple has not committed to having every broadcaster on site for games next season. That is the case for this season. And it's because it costs a lot of money, but I was interested that, that, that that's already like, that's a question mark, you know? Cause when we talk about those, those things that you just said of like removing these mitigating factors and, and Mm -hmm. making things consistently and consistent and putting in the uh, investment to make the broadcast as good as possible. Like I would, I would, look at it as a huge step back if after one year on Apple year two, there are people calling games off monitors. Yeah. That would not be great. So I'm, I am super, and especially knowing the context that we think that this year is going to get off to a bit of a bumpy start as, as Which everyone is in the industry it's has normal. told us they've launched the network in a very short amount of time, but like that, if, if it goes next year, if it goes that quickly, to people calling games off monitors. I think that's a bad, bad sign and a bad decision by MLS executives. Um, But Paul, to sort of underline that, I was talking to an executive today at an MLS team, and they were telling me that they think that this Apple deal, because you have to take the production costs out, is that their club will end up netting less revenue from broadcast than they were last year, which is kind of wild. Cause if you're one of the clubs in MLS and there weren't many that were, that were making money on their local deals. So you make a million or 2 million or whatever on your local deal, add it to the two, three, 4 million that you get from national. And then, you know, you're at five, 6 million. Well, yeah, you have 250 million from Apple, but you have to less the production costs that MLS is, is footing. And, and that could be a hundred million. So that's 150 divided by 29 teams, you're looking at a little bit more than five per. So for some of these teams, it's not going to be much of a difference. It might even be less from a revenue perspective than what they were getting last year, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. But I mean, the, the idea is like that, that, that one year launch cost is, is not going to be replicated in years two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't know about if Lyle feels the same way. Lyle, Lyle, Lyle always wants to voice his opinion here, but I think, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just think that there is this real opportunity to embrace this partnership and pour everything you can into it in the first couple of years and and see where it gets you. And the reality is MLS is working on a tight timeline. It's a 10 year deal, but you've got the World Cup in three years. And what can you do in this three to four year window to build audience, use Apple's reach and and try to compel people to watch your product and then and then take that and use the World Cup to springboard it even more. And it would be a mistake if their vantage point was shaken by anything shorter term than that, because that's a pretty short timeline. Yeah. Um, so to that point, Paul, you know, we've talked about this way, 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 way back in the day. But like MLS is like sold through the hype of the future by selling through the World Cup. You're not going to be able to capitalize in terms of a new broadcast deal on the back of 2026. And, and that sort of raises the stakes on the league having like this needing to work for the league. It's sort of, I don't want to say it's the last best chance, but it is a really critical moment and a really critical thing that this works for MLS because if it doesn't and there isn't growth and there isn't meaningful impact, then it's kind of, what do you do? afterwards it's like is this going to be a legit thing ever is this going to to rock it forward the way that a lot of people want it to i think that would be a really big uh tbd so i think uh, like it's just it's just kind of crucial and, and maybe it's i don't know maybe we say everything's crucial maybe we're chicken littling here maybe it's it's kicking the goalposts, but and maybe in the long run like none of this really matters and the rise is inevitable my goodness apologies um but maybe this is the determinative moment and and that to me is really interesting, kind of exciting, and something certainly to keep an eye on here over the next three, four, five, ten years. And for me, Sam, like there are a couple things I'm going to really pay attention to in the early this first year, 
frankly, of, of this season pass. Because, you know, after all the hype and all the discussion that we've had on this show and in our writing and other places about, like, the broadcast teams, who is MLS going to hire, all of that stuff, like, this is a lot of very similar faces. A lot of the same voices and faces that we've heard on MLS local broadcasts over the last five or six years, right? Like, it's not like there are these huge new new voices, a few of them, for sure, but not like it's not like this is like a game-changing group, right? So what's going to be different? Well, the presentation, right? Like, what? how is it going to look? Is the feel of the broadcast going to be totally different because it's Apple, because it's going to have a vibe of a national broadcast on every single game? Like, that's going to matter. Two, the whip around show and the presentations of the pregame and postgame. Those can really matter because they didn't exist really for MLS before. So, you know, the production of the whip around show has a chance to be really good and different and fun. You know, I'm a red zone watcher for the NFL. And, you know, will I become like a whip around show watcher for MLS? Maybe. I'm Do you watch the Golasso show for Champions League? Yeah, I've watched the Golasso show. I watched MLS's whip around show that they did last year as kind of like a test of this of this mm-hmm. idea, the U.S. Open Cup show. So, like, this has a chance to be different and good. And, and this is an area where MLS can can experiment and try new things and be a little bit more fun and bring something different for the fans. And I think also the, the, the coverage during the week on this app, and I think Twelman alluded to this or discussed it in that, that availability in New York where you were at, but this idea that can you create a show, a highlight show and analysis analysis show during the week where, where people can come and hear about what's happening in the league, see what's going on, maybe have some discussion of narratives and things that, you know, I think exists now for the diehard MLS fans on extra time radio or wherever, but like, is there a way to enhance the coverage of the league outside of the game coverage? Yeah. And, I think and they that's have a to. big part. You and and to, I don't right? think, I, I don't, I think a lot of those things are still TBD. Like that show that you're talking about, Twelman told me like, that's not like booked yet. That's not done yet. Like maybe it'll happen in year one. Maybe it'll happen down the road. Maybe it won't happen at all but that's not on the cards for right now. The studio is still under construction. The one in New York city, like this is still all coming together. And so it's going to take some time. I just hope long-term that the shoulder programming can be what, you know, I think we all think it deserves to be like for a serious league that people follow and give their attention and time and, and love to, because we've never really had that apart from, you know, websites and podcasts we've never seen it on broadcast and and that part of it could be really cool so we'll see how it goes um one other thing or a few other things to sort of think about i've spoken to some gms who are convinced that this is going to help with player recruitment i'm kind of skeptical about that i think money is ultimately what talks there (laughs) but they think the exposure of having apple and having apple tv and being available in 100 plus countries and regions around the world with no blackouts will really make a difference in terms of signing players. Um, so we'll see. I, I certainly don't think that will hurt, uh, but you know, we'll see We'll see if that has a positive impact or not. Um, I had another thought, Paul, and it's escaping me because my damn dog is, is requiring too much of my attention on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll come back to me at a, at a later point. Uh, but I don't know. There's so many elements of this deal that I think could be really interesting and could be really cool. But right now, it's it's a lot of potential and not a lot of certainty. And it could be transformative. It could be not status quo, but it could be kind of more of the same. And so we'll see how yeah. it goes. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's something. And and look, again, I, I've said this multiple times. Like there is risk here too. You know, trying to grow audience behind a paywall is not easy. Trying to reach new people is not easy. I do think Apple has tremendous reach. Uh, billions of devices around the world. of the games this season are going to be outside of the paywall. How Apple communicates that, how, how obvious it is, you know, how many people are going to be opening up their Apple TV app on Saturday at seven 30 and are going to see boom MLS games in their face that they can watch. Will that be enough to get them to tune in? What are the things that Apple will do to push this league forward? You know, we, that's still all TBD as well. So, yeah, I think they'll have some influence though. And I think that's exciting as well. Like if they're in this partnership, like I think they have some of the power in it compared to MLS and, and maybe they can leverage that in a positive way. Uh, I do remember the thing I was going to say, it came back to me and that's, that's kind of about narratives in big teams and small teams and equality versus quality. 
I think it's fair to say. So in the past, national TV schedule would come out shortly before the season began, and it would be set for the most part for the entire year. So ESPN, they would book their games for the second week in October, the week 33 of the season right now. That'd be set in stone. The way MLS works, impossible to predict. We all know that game could end up being a dud and they wouldn't be able to get out of it. That'd be that. The way that this this deal is going to work, they're not setting the schedule in those ways until you know one, two, three weeks ahead of time in advance. So they're going to be able to put the biggest broadcasting teams and the brightest lights on the actual best matches on a week-by-week basis. I think that is really important because I think MLS really needs to lean into this is the elite. These are our most compelling teams. These are our most compelling games. And not be concerned with, well, everybody needs to have equal time. Everybody needs to be on ESPN. Everybody needs to be on Fox. And I know there haven't been exactly equal national TV situations in the past. But, you know, sometimes the Galaxy are terrible and they're on national TV 20 times. Yeah, or it's dictated by, like, wanting to see the Timbers atmosphere no matter who they're playing, right? And I think having that flexibility will be really good from a storytelling perspective and from a, a narrative building perspective from the league. So I'm excited for that part of it. And I hope the league lets it happen where they lean into the big teams because that's ultimately what's driving the interest. Yeah. I mean, I still have my, my number one concern that this is kind of out of the league's hands, which is mainstreaming MLS, right? Like until it, until it's being discussed by, you know, Stephen A. Smith, your boy, or on Sports <laughs> Center in those opening segments, and you're t- you're breaking down the narratives, the storylines. Until Mad things. Dog's on it, then right. what are we even doing? You know, Mad Dog is going to be like, "Ah, oh, this guy's no Etcheverry." You know, like he's. he's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that's where you struggle to like make to break through to that mainstream audience. Like Apple's not going to be able to do that for you. So, but it, but nothing was going to be able to do that. For no, you. I mean it comes down to like how good your product is on the field that can eventually start to to get people to watch. It's what made Zlatan so valuable, right? He was on talk shows and was so compelling that people were like, "I want to watch what this guy does." Yeah, but it was momentary blips. That was course, momentary blips. Of course, like know? how and do you capture that long term? No Apple's so, not going to solve that. It's still the big the big problem out there for MLS. But the things they can't control is like what they put on the field these next few years, how good the product looks on Apple. You know, can Apple help them to grow an audience? Can yeah. Apple, I think, help to close the perception gap abroad of where MLS is versus where people think it is? Those things can be accomplished over the next few years. And then you hope that by doing that, you can start to garner a bit more respect within you know, the, the borders of the United States and their, their coverage of, yeah. of sports. Last thing for me on this, but both of these parties are highly incentivized to make this work. MLS for obvious reasons, right? They, they want, they want to have as many people as possible watching their games. They want to expand their fan base. Duh. Apple, you know, they want as many people as possible buying subscriptions, getting into the Apple TV universe. Uh, and they also want to show that they can do this to other sports leagues that maybe they're interested in speaking to. You know, there's been reports out there that they're thinking about buying the Premier League rights in England when those come up in a couple of years. Uh, that would obviously be a massive, 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 way more than $2.5 billion over a 10-year deal. Um, in order to do that, they have to do the same thing that MLS has to do when they want to sell players to these bigger leagues. They have to prove the concept. Uh, and MLS is a good kind of way for them to do that it's a good test ground i think for them um but only if they make it work so i think both parties are highly incentivized to make it work and i think ultimately that's a really good thing for mls and and mls fans looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We are talking all things American soccer, including, Paul, the most American soccer thing of all, the Copa America, which is coming to the United States in 2024. 16 teams, all 10 nations from Common Bowl from South America, plus six American qualifiers, North American qualifiers, as will be determined by the 2023-2024 CONCACAF Nations League. Exactly how they're going to determine a top six is still TBD. Uh, but the U.S. men's national team, if they didn't make the top six, uh, that would be a surprise, to say the least. Um, so the U.S. should be in that tournament in 2024. Of course, this is running it back from 2016, the Copa America Centenario. Same format, 16 teams, 10 and then six from Common Bowl and CONCACAF. Paul, overall thoughts? I think, I mean, we've talked about it from a U.S. standpoint, but overall thoughts on the tournament coming to the States for a second time? Well, it's a huge deal for American soccer, for the U.S. men's national team. Great competition, great opportunity to showcase the game in the United States, just the, like the way the Centenario was. And I think, you know, usually I would say like it's really important for the competitiveness of the men's national team to play these games in South America. I don't think that's the case this time around. Your competitive preparation is to play in front of stadiums in the United States ahead of the 2026 World Cup. And this is exactly what you're going to get. Um, but it would have been cool. It would have been cooler. Been cool. Sure. It would have been cooler, <laughs> but for preparation purposes, I don't think it matters as much. Um, because the preparation is for a home world cup now, um, where away games will matter less. But I think this is great for the, for the U S men's national team, because it makes their cycle way more important, way more interesting for a new coach, potentially for the players. I actually spoke to Serginio Dest earlier today for a story I'm working on. Serginio. And it was funny because we were talking about the World Cup and Serginio, you know, talked about it as the, the greatest experience of his career, of his life. And he was like, man, I heard that we're going to play, potentially play in the, the Copa America. And I said to him, like, you know, we were talking about, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I'll see you, you know, the CONCACAF Nations League in March or something. And I was like, I don't know if they're going to call you guys in, like the bigger stars for that tournament. You know, they might give you a rest. And Serginio was like, I don't want to rest. He's like, bring me for the Nations League. He's like, where where are we playing? He goes, doesn't that qualify us for the for the Copa America? Like, I got to be there for it. And I was like, no, the next one qualifies you. Um, but the, the like, it shows like the excitement at for for the players to be in this tournament against yeah. teams like Argentina and Brazil, uh, Brazil and Uruguay, to, Colombia, to have that level Colombia. of competition. Yeah, the the, the guys works. You know, Serginio was excited for sure about the the possibility and and kind of it had him like ready to jump into another tournament, another international tournament, because he felt so positively about how things, you know, went down at the world cup, both, you know, just from experiencing it um, as a person, but also kind of the on-field experience as well. well. I'm excited to read that story, Paul, but, you know, having lived through 2016, uh, I thought that tournament was fantastic. I thought it was really fun. U S made the semifinals where Messi and Argentina brutalized them in Houston. I want to say NRG stadium. I have that right. Um, but I think, you know, this is a, this, we've talked about it. This is the really only opportunity that they had to get real competitive matches in a high stakes format before 2026. And uh, it's fantastic that they have the opportunity now. I, I think it'll, it'll help this team grow. I think it'll help prepare them for the World Cup. Uh, and I think it'll be a really fun exercise for everybody here in the US. Uh, a nice little taster, appetizer prior to the main, main event a couple of years afterwards. Uh, there are some differences between this tournament and the one that was in, in 2016, specifically in terms of the organization of it. U.S. soccer actually kind of led the organization for the first first one back in 2016, and they made a ton of money off of it, uh, like 80 to $90 million. That, that severely bolstered their reserves and their bank account. Conmebol and CONCACAF maybe weren't so thrilled about how that happened um they are organizing this one u.s soccer of course is involved uh but they are not leading the charge like they did in 2016 that's less work for them so on that on that side of the coin it's it's positive for everybody that works at the federation their summer in 2024 won't be as busy as it, as it was in 2016 uh but it means less money as well 
probably looking at like 20-ish million dollars in revenue. Certainly not chump change. That's a lot of cash, but it's also not 80 to 90 million either. And from my read on things, Paul, I don't think this is that 20 million is really going to expand the budget for a men's national team head coach and probably not for a men's national team or a federation sporting director. And so I think for fans with visions of Pep Guardiola or Zinedine Zidane or even like Mourinho or Ancelotti or or somebody of that ilk and level, probably not going to happen just simply from a budgetary perspective. I think I shouldn't say probably not going to happen. It would be a big surprise to me if it happened from a budgetary perspective. I don't think U.S. soccer can afford that type of coach. Yeah, I mean, I am super curious to see what happens with the sporting director search, both now with this new tournament coming into play of of the Copa America and also just the fact that, you know, the sporting search, sporting director search is going to be led by Sportsology, um, which has led to certainly a mixed bag of candidates getting important jobs in Major League Soccer, both as sporting directors and also presidents and executives elsewhere in organizations. Um, I think it's fair to question their record in hiring. I know that they they do more than that. They do an, a, a full audit and um, organizational review. They sort of, um, and they can sort of build out like, okay, this is how you should set up your sporting staff and department. That's those sorts of things. But it also like it just leads to like, what kind of candidates are they going to be putting in front of U.S. Soccer for this position? Right. That that <laughs> what you're in some ways what you're hiring with Sportsology is their Rolodex, um, and and. I think there are still major questions about whether or not people like, you know, I don't know, like a Carlos Bocanegra will be considered a good candidate or whether his experience as a former captain of the U.S. national team is considered, um, you know, disqualifying because of, of the way people perceive the kind of good old boy U.S. men's national team network. You know, so that like the fact that I I don't know the answer to that question, the fact that people I speak to are asking that question that you would normally think would be in the know, I think shows that there's there are real question marks about where they're going to where U.S. soccer is going to go in general um, in regards to both jobs. Um, But at least we know we're going to have some real games that matter to cover next summer. And, And it. I agree with you, Sam, man. The Cincinnati was fun. Like, that's what I remember from it. Yeah. Like, there were fun games. It was cool matchups. It was um, – I, I watched USA Costa Rica. I covered it here in Chicago. Is that, I went, is that, a, is that a group stage game? It was game? a group stage game. US won 4 nothing. Um, and I went to the final. I remember Messi retiring in the tunnel after the game and <laughs> not leaving MetLife until 4 in the morning with Doug McIntyre. We went and got hot dogs in Manhattan and – and we're just, you know, that's our. You couldn't our find a hot dog between, between the Meadowlands and Manhattan. Well, I was staying in Manhattan, and and Doug's family stays uh, in, uh, I think Roosevelt Island. So he yeah. passed through Manhattan on the way Man. there. So he classic, was, classic Paul running up a bougie hotel in Manhattan. I don't actually think I stayed at my buddy's apartment, but yeah, it was in Manhattan though. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I don't. Twenty sixteen was a long time ago. I was I was covering that for four four two. I don't I don't think I was at a hotel that night, but um, yeah, it was just a fun tournament, man. I it was one of my my first big events to cover, and and Messi retired during it, which just like so totally unexpected. This is very premature, but you know it's less than a year and a half away, so it's not maybe that premature. How, how do you think the U.S. will fare in this competition? Well, I'd like what's, to see who, the minimum what, what group do they they end up in and who who they're playing against. I think that matters significantly. But I think getting out of the group is like the bare minimum expectation. And then you shoot higher, Tenorio. You, Come I would, on, man. I would expect that you would hope that you do what you did last time and you get to a semifinal and you match up against an Argentina or a Brazil and you give see yourself as best yeah. of a chance you can to compete. You know, but they they beat U.S. beat Ecuador in the mm-hmm. knockout. Last in the time quarters. Um, in Seattle, that was a pretty memorable match. It was a, it was a good game. Um, I seem to remember Jeff Cameron and John Brooks having really strong tournaments in, in 2016. Yeah, I definitely remember John Brooks having a really, there were a couple of moments where John Brooks was like out in space. I mean, it also he made like, an incredible it, tackle against Miguel Almiron. Actually, that's right. Pre Atlanta, Miguel Almiron against Paraguay and Philadelphia. Yeah, and I, I remember, I mean, shoot, I remember, like, that was the first game. Sam, you're really going to laugh at this. I remember having discussions with some MLS sporting directors at, after that tournament, just asking about players that they that had caught their eye, and they asked, like, you know, they asked you, like, who'd you like that you saw or whatever. 
And the player that I really liked that a couple other people also liked <laughs> was Francisco Calvo from Costa Rica. Who, who like <laughs> classic, even, classic Paul, like in a Costa Rican guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, even, even in a four nothing loss and Costa Rican players, <laughs> you know, he, he, Hey, a couple of MLS teams became enamored with him in that tournament. He played left, left-sided center back in a three man back line. And I was probably the rest his best is position. History, man. never played there in MLS or very rarely and came to Minnesota and it was not, it was not a great, great Calvo Calvo to be fair, had some good moments in MLS. It wasn't all bad. Yeah, it wasn't all bad, but it was mostly bad. <laughs> You're a hater. <laughs> you know, sorry, Francisco Calvo, but it didn't really work out for you in MLS. I think vida. Acknowledge that. <laughs> um, bottom line, I think this is going to be a really good opportunity for the U.S. I think it does make the coaching job more attractive, even if it doesn't necessarily increase the budget substantially for it. Uh, and I think that's important. Uh, but most importantly, it gives the players a better test ahead of 2026. It's good, valuable preparation for them. Uh, iron sharpens iron, as they say, and this is uh, this is a lot of iron in this tournament. All right, what do we got? Game of Thrones going on over here. The allocation right. disorder. Well, Sam, you know, I got a question for you. I was talking golf, irons. You know, irons. Yeah. Woods. I was well, trying to look right. you up. There's definitely, um, you know, a lot of golf. Oh, well, I mentioned this to you, but I was told earlier this week by by a friend of the show that that person has a friend that listens to this show, and their new ambition in life is to play a round of golf with you because you're obsessed with the PGA. Well, good luck to them because I played two rounds of golf last year, thanks to my children and my world cup work schedule. Wow. And you know, that's two opportunities. So my, my game is rusty and I, I would, but I would love uh, anyone to uh, point me in the direction of a golf course anytime soon. Have a Paul, let's play golf. It. Next time we're together, we're playing golf. I'm going to kick right. your ass. Where, I wonder where the, maybe we can, uh, maybe, you know, we're actually we're together in a few weeks in New York city. So we'll yeah. have a nice February round of uh, a round of golf for sure. <laughs> what was the question you were going to I'm ask? putting you on the spot, Sam. Yeah. You are Cindy Parlo Cohn. You are Mike Ford of sportsology. Who is wow. your first call? I'm both of them yes. at the same time, at the same time, who wow. is your first call for an interview for sporting director of us soccer? Oh, Man, you are putting me on the spot here. I don't like this. Yeah, it's my a tough first one. call is money an object? Is no. job status an object? No, just a call, just an exploratory. Hey, would you take this job? We're interested in you. We're interested. I, w- I would call you, Paul. Um, no, uh, I would not. Sorry, I wouldn't call you. Um, hmm. Hmm. Do you have an answer so I can think of one? I mean, the name that keeps coming up in my mind is Dane Murphy. He's had success at two different clubs in England. He grew up playing in the United States, understands the grassroots side of American soccer, which I think is an important part of the sporting director role within U.S. soccer, understands the dynamics, the politics of U.S. soccer and the board and how all of that works, Uh, worked in Major League Soccer, played college soccer, checks a lot of boxes, currently doesn't have a job. And is definitely a successful soccer executive early in his career who also is not from within the normal kind of U.S. national team circles. So that's the name that stuck out to me as like a good potential option. Okay. Oh, sorry. And and for people who don't know who Dane Murphy is, he's the he's a, a former, uh, again, played at UVA, played in MLS. Did he play in MLS? I don't know if he played in MLS, but he worked with – Real Salt Lake briefly as a technical director, then DC United. And then he went to Barnsley. He's the executive who brought Daryl DK in on loan at Barnsley, took them from being kind of a bottom of the table championship team to up to the promotion playoffs. And then the next year went to Nottingham Forest and took Nottingham Forest from a playoff team to a Premier League promotion. Um, recently last, left Nottingham Forest and, and is out there as a free agent. So that that's just the name that, that kind of popped into my mind. Well, if we're going to go crazy, Paul, why not give Michael Edwards a call? That's very crazy because like, <laughs> that would be like uh, a massive drop-off in prestige and uh, pay and in you know everything. Well, can't hurt to try. It's like, oh, like, <laughs> hey, you want to go play 5v5 over at Pat and Jim? Oh, let's call Michael Jordan. Pat and Jim. Wow. I know. That I thought is you'd niche. Like that. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Uh, Michael Edwards, former sporting director at Liverpool. Um, he walked away just to kind of take a break from the game last summer. Uh, Julian Ward, his replacement, is 
about to do the same thing at the end of this season, I believe. <laughs> um, so, you know, if, if Michael Edwards says no thanks, then just on to the next one. Uh, I mean, seriously, though, like if, if you're asking me the question, who am I going to call just on the off chance that they're interested? Yeah, I would call them for sure. I don't hate the Dane Murphy shout. Um, I mean, it's weird because all, most of the people I would call are already working. Yeah. They already have jobs. Um, you know, it's not that hard to figure out, like kind of the top MLS GMs. Um, yeah, it's a, tough, it's a tough job to fill because you, you have to be in that sweet spot of like, yeah, will they be interested? Will Would it necessitate taking a pay cut or not? I think Ollie Curtis available? would be interested interesting you know he's a guy that i think helped sort of refine and cement kind of an identity at red bull when he took over there and and hired jesse marsh and they did a lot of things in the academy and so on and so forth um he's a smart guy has good ideas about the game um that's maybe a candidate that i would reach out to yeah that's a little bit more realistic i think that i think it's a bit more realistic yeah um so yeah by the way no one played pickup basketball pat and gym you do that like what's the gym across from foster walker that's the gym that you played at forget Blomquist. The name did you not yeah, play Blomquist. Spack? Blomquist. well i was uh, i lived on the you know the south side of campus and then off oh. campus closer to Blomquist. Um, so. guys paul is terrible at basketball is what yes, he's trying to tell you definitely okay there we go he, he couldn't get in the good games. anyone who follows us on twitter knows how much shorter i am than you i don't want to of course, I'm worse at basketball. I, I, I stuck to the sports I was good at, you know, for the most part. Okay. There are a lot of those, but, you know, basketball wasn't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Coming up next, we'll talk more basketball. Uh, stay with us. Allocation. Go Cats. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We are back, allocation disorder, uh, talking about the Northwestern Wildcats basketball team. Their loss to Iowa on Tuesday night, hugely. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to talk about that. It's too painful. Uh, Paul, there are some big moves in American soccer this week, chief of which Weston McKinney on loan to Leeds through the end of this season. The American Revolution, the invasion, it's, it's really going up a level. Weston McKinney joining Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, Jesse Marsh, Honorary American Jack Harrison, Wake Forest product, of course, NYCFC draft pick, MLS alum Jack Harrison. Uh, what do you think of this move, Paul? Leaving Juventus for a team that, you know, threatened by relegation in England. I hated it until it was presented as a loan with an option to buy that had a relegation clause in it. Yeah. Now I have no problem with it. I think that Weston will be absolutely fine in the system. It accentuates some of his strengths. He will impress in the Premier League. He will have a chance to put himself in the shop window if leads go down. He will have a chance to get bought by a, uh, another team in the Premier League, I think. Mm-hmm. And it significantly decreases the risk of him going to a, you know, going down to the championship. And I'm sure hopefully, you know, a lot of those players at Leeds will have some sort of clause if that does happen, but I, I was really concerned about it when it was looked like an outright purchase. I, I have less of a concern now. How about I you? Agree with that. I have one larger concern relating to the national team and this move. It's no secret to listeners of the show that I happen to think the biggest weakness or one of the biggest weaknesses for the men's national team is the ability to progress the ball through midfield via passing. <laughs> I think we saw that against the Netherlands. I think that was a big concern. Uh, you now have three, probably, of your top four midfielders, depending on how you consider Brendan Aronson and how you classify him, playing in a system where, like, it's just, you know, what what do, what do, what does one of our buddies call it, Paul? Yeehaw football? Yeehaw ball. Yeah, and it's just up and down transition. It's fun. It's entertaining as hell. 
and it can work and we'll see if it works for leads under marsh as they go here but i i would love it if if those guys would were playing in a system where they could develop that side of their game a little bit more and i'm not sure that leads is the place for that right now yeah, I mean, but, I don't know if you read Jeff Reuter's story um, after this move. I thought it did a really good job of spelling out. It's a good story. Of, it's worth checking um, out. How Weston was used at Juve, how little he was asked to pass the ball to progress it, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> and, and how much he did other I don't, things. I don't know that it's a situation that would have changed had McKenney gone somewhere else or stayed at Juventus. I'm right. just saying bigger picture in the sure. context no, of the I national team. Like that's something that popped into my head. I get, I get it. I get it. But I did, yeah. uh, you know, knowing that, knowing that from our own conversations about the move as it was coming to, to fruition, you know, to read that piece and see like, yeah, I mean, the reality is you can be at a team where that wants to pass the ball a lot and not be used to pass the ball at all, mm-hmm. um, which is the case with Weston. And actually, Eunice Musa was pretty close mm-hmm. to Weston and his usage stats in that chart that was in the, in the story about um, number of, of pass, you know, I think it was like progressive passing within a midfield. Um, so yeah, I, I think again, you know, the loan part of it made me feel much more comfortable with this move. And I think, you know, Weston is a player who has continued to change minds at every stop that he's been at. And I expect that to be the same here. I think he's going to be just fine in the premier league. I don't think there's going to be like much of an adjustment. He's been playing champions. League. Is there, are there a, a lot of people time. saying he's not going to be fine? No, I don't know. But I just, I just think he's a guy who kind of has seemed to, exceed expectations in his first two clubs you know no expectations that Schalke became an important starter on that team playing a number of positions very very low expectations and a lot of doubters vocal doubters when he went to Juve that he could never play at a team like that in Italy and he he was a starter for a lot of his time there Um, so we'll see we'll see what happens at at Leeds it's interesting how this plays out for Brendan Aronson because I think it pushes him out to the wing with leads and into a rotation. And so I'll be interested to see, you know, what his playing time looks like now with Wes and McKinney, Tyler Adams, both starting in that, in that midfield um, with. Yeah. I mean, it Roca, might change the shape right? for, for leads as well. Mark Roca um, will be the third starter, I think in their four, three, three. Yeah. If they stay with a four, three, three, right. They have more flexibility now, I think with some of the, so they just, made. they just moved to it. They were playing like a four, two, three, one before Sorry, they yeah. kind of moved to the four, three, three. So there you go. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see Don't how, how it impacts Aronson. Um, but I think it pushes him out to the wing and it pushes him into a bit of a rotation. Um, so a couple of other stories to deal with here involving the Los Angeles teams, Paul first is Chicho Rongo. He is gone from LAFC sold to Pachuca and the Amakis. Uh, the messaging from LAFC on this one was basically like, we had to do it to become cap compliant. Um, Paul, I think you have an opinion on that. Yeah. I just think, look, there are cases for sure in MLS where you have to make tough decisions. We talked about Walker Zimmerman's trade to, to Nashville hope opened up cap space and, and added a lot of gam that allowed LAFC the flexibility to, to make the moves that they wanted to make. This one to me is like when you have a striker who scored the number of goals that Arango scored for LAFC I just think you find a way to get it done. That that person becomes the one that you're moving money around to keep. You know, he scored 30 goals in 51 MLS regular season games. That's a pretty good strike rate for for forward, you know? And I I get that he didn't do the other things that they wanted out of a striker, but the most important thing for your number nine to do is to score goals. Uh, Certainly a sale of a player means you add uh, a good chunk of, of gam, you have more cap space now. I think they have an open DP spot. If they need to add a DP, that means they're coming in at 512000 on your cap. You're going to have to buy that number down. 650000 Sorry, what did I say? Five, why I said 512000 I was like, Paul's, Paul's with my 20, with the Colts. My, my with 2015 the cap numbers in my mind. Yeah, you're way off. Man. It went from 6125 last year to like 637 and a half this year or something like Six, that. 651 something, I think. There you go. I tried to, um, you didn't listen. So. I get it to an, but I don't. I think like you keep the guy who's scoring a lot of goals for you. And clearly, I'm guessing he probably wanted DP money and they probably didn't want to give it to him. Yep. Uh, I would imagine that to be the case. And I think that probably led to what happened here. So if you're going to deny, deny the guy the payday, you can't really say, hey, you can't leave and get, right. your, get your money. That becomes a difficult thing to do, especially after he's had a really good run and the club's had a really good run. So. Interesting one there. Julian Araujo, will he go to Barcelona? Will he not? Is it actually Barcelona or is it their B team? Does any of this make any sense? Not really. No. 
I, I'm, I'm <laughs> surprised by it in general. So um, walk walk the people through the situation. Well, first, it started to come out that there was going to be a loan of, of Araujo to Barcelona with like a $5 million purchase option. And then it came out that it was now changing to a straight buy for 4 million euros. And then that he was mostly going to play for Barcelona B. And now the reports are out that apparently the transfer didn't come through until 18 seconds after the deadline. So Barcelona is appealing to FIFA that this transfer goes through, um, that there was like a computer error. I mean, basically, like who would have thought that Barcelona would be messy like this? Well, FIFA tried to streamline this process instead of having these faxes drop through. There's like a system that you can go in and put stuff into. Apparently, there was like, according to the Barcelona sporting director, there was a, a computer error and the delay was 18 seconds. The I don't Wi-Fi know wasn't working. Is that on an MLS <laughs> side? Is that, you know, look, when you're this tight up on deadlines, every little delay matters. Yeah. In this case, 18 seconds might be the difference between going and not going. But we've we've seen MLS guys move to Barca B before. Balut Tabla from Montreal. Yeah, it didn't work out great. He's in the Canadian Premier League now. Yeah. Um, I... I don't know, going to Spanish lower divisions to play. And, and I get that the Barca brand name, and, and who knows, maybe they have plans for him that extend beyond. But if Sergio Dest isn't good enough to play at Barcelona, Julian Araujo probably isn't either. Uh, and I think for his development, I think it makes sense to to stay in MLS or go to somewhere else in Europe or, or otherwise and not Barca B. Because he can do better than that, in my opinion. Um, and I don't think moving to Barca B is a situation that's going to end with him being on the first team there either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. I get it. You hear Barcelona wants you. Yeah. It's attractive. It's a dream and it's a lot of money too. So, you know, it's, it's certainly understandable, but I think maybe that 18 second delay might work out in the long term in a positive way for Araujo. We'll see. We'll see if FIFA allows the appeal and allows him to move to Barcelona B or not. Yep. Well, that's all for this episode of Allocation Disorder brought to you by Fax Machines. I think yeah. that's the sponsor for this week's show. Bureau Fax. Bureau Fax. Um, all right, Paul. This has been fun. Thank you all for listening. I'm Sam. He's Paul. Until next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.